0: Well, it's a heartbreaking story, but one that I think is worth sharing this morning. Uh, Several years ago, three guys who are all in ministry, real close friends, made the decision to go to a conference together in Orlando, Florida. And joining them on this trip were each of their spouses, which made this an extremely special time for them as couples. Unfortunately, on their way back home from that conference, on that flight, a flock of birds hit one of the plane's engines and the plane went down and there were no survivors. Now, when the three couples arrived at the pearly gates in heaven, Peter was there waiting on them like a maitre d'. And he looked at the first minister and he said, can you tell me your name? And he gave him his name and at that point, Peter began flipping through the book of life. And he said, well, I see here you lived a really, really good life. You did a lot of good for a lot of people. But he said, I also noticed that unfortunately, alcohol had quite a grip on your life. So much so that you didn't marry until you found a woman by the name of Brandy. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to let you in. And he turned to the second minister, and he said, what's your name? And he gave him his name, and he started flipping pages in the book of life. And he said, wow, I see that you had an amazing ministry. The church that you were leading grew exponentially. Good things were happening, but, oh, I also see that for many, many years, you ran hard after money, so much so that you didn't marry until you found a woman by the name of Penny. I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to be able to let you in. And he turned to the third minister, and at that point, the third minister turned to his wife, and he said, come on, Fanny, I think it's time for us to leave. (laughs) Stories about the afterlife, who's in and who's out, have been around for a long, long time. In fact, in the ancient world, there were a number of stories about the afterlife that were circulating, and so it's no surprise to find the greatest storyteller of all time, adding to this collection of stories. This morning, we're going to look at one of the stories that Jesus happened to tell about the afterlife. But before we do, I want you to know this. Jesus didn't tell such stories simply to try to loosen up his audience. He didn't tell such stories to try to get a chuckle or a groan. The primary reason Jesus told these stories was to wake people up. A gulp was more of the reaction that he was looking for from his audience, especially the religious elite. One of the most detailed and sobering afterlife stories that Jesus ever told is recorded in Luke's gospel. And so I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, we begin to realize that the character is at the heart of the story is an unnamed rich man. How wealthy was this particular man? Well, he was so wealthy that he could afford to wear the finest of clothes. The story begins like this in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Panton, who is the authority on colors, has named Very Perry the color of the year for 2022. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the color Very Perry, there should be an image there. That's the color. If you're wearing that this morning, you're up with fashion. That, that's it, the hot color of 2022. Now, in the ancient world, this particular color, or at least purple, you see the purple hue, at least purple was the hot color every single year. Why was that? Well, it was a, sem- it was a very complex process to pull out the dye from marine snails. So that made purple an extremely rare cloth. In fact, the only people who could really afford to wear purple were the extremely wealthy or royalty. Now, Jesus not only mentions that purple was this guy's color of choice, but he also mentions that he wore fine linen. Does anybody know what fine linen refers to? The original language, fine linen, actually referred to or pointed to Egyptian cotton. Specifically, the type of cotton that was used for underwear. And so to put it in today's terms, here's the image that you get. Here is a guy that's wearing a Armani suit and Versace underwear. Now, if you've never seen Versace underwear, you're in luck today because here's another image. (laughs) That's Versace underwear. Now, you can own a pair of those for $225. Can you imagine? $225. I would need those to heat my rear in the winter and to cool it in the summer. That's the only way I'm paying $225, right? That's what this guy, he can afford to wear. Notice, Jesus tells the story, it's not just when this guy's going out for a night on the town or not just when he's meeting with an important client that he dresses to the nines. This is kind of what he wore, regardless of what he had going on. What exactly did this guy have going on? Well, he had a lot of partying going on. Jesus mentioned that he lived in luxury, and when you think about that term "living in luxury," the word that she's in the original language it actually points to feasting. Every point, it points to rejoicing or cheering. It points to a major festival. In other words, this guy had a party going on in his house that would rival the greatest New Year's Eve party that has ever been thrown by Jay-Z or Beyonce. That's what this guy had going on. But it wasn't just a once a year occurrence. It didn't just happen on New Year's Eve. It, It was happening every single day, every day, even on the Sabbath. This guy expected his staff, his servants, and his slaves to provide food and drink and entertainment and anything else that was on his or his guest's wish list. This is the way that he lived his life. Now, just outside of this gated man's home was another man. And this particular man had a wish. And what was his wish? Was his wish to get invited into the party? No, he dared not dream so big. His wish was much, much smaller. This was his wish, Luke 16, 20 and 21. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his sores. The best way that they could, those dogs showed Lazarus compassion by licking his sores. But the rich man, on the other hand, he showed Lazarus none. He didn't invite him into the party. He didn't intend to his wounds. He didn't even at the end of the day say, hey, Lazarus, here are the leftovers that we have. Why don't you take them and eat those? He did nothing of the sort. While he was partying it up on the inside, Lazarus was suffering physical pain and emotional rejection on the outside. And so get the picture. This is what's happening with these two men. You got one guy who's loving life, partying it. He's dressed to the nines. Everything's great. You got another guy just feet away outside of the gated home, and he's suffering. He's hurting. Dogs are licking his sores. This is the image Jesus paints, and then he says this. Oh, and by the way, both of these guys died on the same day, or at least very close to the same day. And when they did, and they arrived at the pearly gates of heaven, guess who they saw? Peter? No, not Peter. Peter hadn't died yet. Peter was listening to the story. They saw Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And Abraham, he was quick to welcome in Lazarus into the the heavenly banquet. you got a place, Lazarus. Come on in. But the rich man, he didn't get the same invites. Not only was he left on the outside looking in, but like Lazarus had been on earth, now he was in terrible agony. He was suffering. And he was desperate. And so what did he do? He tried to cash in on some family chips. He, he was a son of Abraham. He was Jewish. This is a big deal. I want you to listen to the words of Kenneth Bailey. He writes this. Family is everything in the Middle East. And when in dire need, one can always return to the family patriarch." and throw oneself on his mercy, because the patriarch is honor-bound to offer help. So the rich man cried out to the patriarch of the Jewish people, help me, Abraham. said this in verse 24, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue I am in anguish in these flames. On earth, this rich dude didn't give a flip about his Jewish brother Lazarus. But now he's all about family, right? And how did Abraham respond? Verse 25. But Abraham said to him, son, the word that's translated son or child It's the exact same word that's used in Luke chapter 2 and verse 48 that shows the depth of anguish Mary and Joseph experienced when they thought they had lost Jesus at the temple or in Jerusalem. In a similar way, Abraham felt compassion for this son of his. There was no pleasure in seeing this rich man suffer, but there is also nothing that Abraham could do about it at this point. You say, why not? Well, because there is a huge chasm that separates the righteous and the unrighteous in the afterlife. It is a chasm so great that it makes the Grand Canyon look like an ordinary crack in the sidewalk. We read in verse 25 and 26, but Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in great anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to us from there. Now we need to really be careful about drawing conclusions about the nature of the afterlife from this parable. It it is a parable. But I feel safe in saying that I think that we can be confident of this there will be no relocation opportunities on the other side of the grave. There will be no do-overs. There will be no second chances. And so it is incredibly important that we get it right on this side. You know, it may have been too late for this man, but he knew it wasn't too late for his brothers. They still had time. And so he made a new request. And this was his request. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Now, evidently, he was still a little confused about this no going back and forth between the realms thing. But Abraham was quick to say, hey, it's not only impossible, but it's also It's not even necessary. Well, why not? Well, here's why it wasn't necessary for him to somehow send someone to talk to that man's brothers. It's not necessary because they already had everything they needed to know how to live life. Verse 29, but Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them, your brothers can read what they wrote. What did they write? Well, they wrote things like this in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. The prophets left no doubt about how God desired for the poor to be treated. They were not to be shunned. They were not to be ignored. They were not to be shooed away. They were to be shown compassion. Now, this wealthy man, like most wealthy people, were not used to hearing the word, he was not used to hearing the word, no. And like most teenagers who desire a later curfew, he thought, no, just meant he needed to give a better reason for someone to say yes. And so he took another run at Abraham. And he said this. The rentrian man replied, No, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. To which Abraham replied, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Now, don't miss this. This is crucially important. Those who are unresponsive to the word of God won't respond to the work of God. That's just as true today as it's ever been. If a person does not have a heart that's bent toward the will of God, it doesn't matter who God sends. It doesn't matter what God does. It's most likely not going to change their beliefs or their behavior. So here's the question this morning. The question is, how open is our heart to this teaching of Jesus? So, what's the point of the story? Well, clearly, the point of the story is that wealthy people are on the fast track to hell. Now, I know that's bad news for some of you, but you should have thought twice about making so much money. <laughs> now, if you're offended by this, please don't send me an email. I'm just the messenger of your eternal torment, not the one who makes the rules. The person you need to gripe at is Jesus, because Jesus is the one who said, rich people are going to hell and poor people are going to heaven. Now, if you think I'm in the least bit serious, you need to be a little hot under the collar this morning, right? Because that is a total misuse of this text. But believe it or not, there have been people throughout history who have tried to suggest that that is the message of this story. This story in no way condemns wealth, nor does it suggest that poverty is the golden ticket for eternal life. What this story does condemn is a self-indulgent, excessive lifestyle, a lifestyle in which I only think about myself or my peers, and I give zero consideration to those who are below me on the socioeconomic scale. You see scripture all through scripture old testament and new testament god makes very clear he makes very clear that we should care about the poor and the needy more than our own comfort more than our own pleasure more than our own image first john chapter 3 and verse 17 if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person If we fail to take these words seriously, we're going to find ourselves on the wrong side of the chasm when we step to the other side of the grave. And Some of you might be thinking, okay, that's enough, Smith. We don't need fear. We don't need guilt. We're saved by grace. You know what? The point this morning is not to make you feel guilty. It's not to strike you with fear. I understand we are saved by grace, but please remember this. We are saved by grace through faith. And as James, the brother of Jesus, points out, any faith that does not move you to care for those who are in need is a faith that does not have a pulse. James writes this in James 2, verse 15 through 17, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The story of a rich man, it offers a very strong warning, a warning summed up well by Amy Jill Levine. She's a university professor of New Testament and Jewish studies, and she writes this in her book, Short Stories by Jesus. She says this, Heed the commands to aid the poor and the sick and hungry, or you will eventually suffer worse poverty, greater pains, deeper hunger. And not only does she offer this warning, but she also offers a charge, and it's a charge that I need to hear, it's a charge that I need to heed, perhaps you do as well. This is her charge, she says this, do not just contribute to the food drive, but invite the hungry into your home. Do not just put money in the collection plate, but use your resources to provide jobs and support for those in need. Do not treat the sick as burdens, but as beloved family members who deserve love and care. Know the names of the destitute. Each has a story to tell. Recognize, as Jesus puts it, that you cannot serve both God and mammon. This story does not condemn wealth but it demands that we take a look at the depth of our own self-indulgence. This story demands that we ask some hard questions. Questions like this, how big of a home is big enough? Questions like, should I drive a car that costs more than most people make in a year? Questions like Do I need to wear the most current fashion every single season? Do I need to eat at the nicest restaurants? Do I need to own the latest iPhone? Do I need to have the fastest Wi Fi? How big of a collection, be it coffee mugs or thimbles or sports memorabilia or coins, do I really need? Why do I buy what I buy? Do I buy it because I need it, or do I buy it because I'm trying to impress other people, or am I buying it because I'm trying to make other people jealous? How much money do I need in my 401K? My financial advisor always tells me more. (laughs) But what does Jesus say, and who do I trust the most? Do I realize there is an increasing gap growing between the haves and the have-nots? Do I see it, and do I care? No this text does not demand that you give your money to anyone and everyone, but it does demand, it does demand that we think about these people. now? When churchgoers begin to take these questions seriously, do you know what often happens? All too often, here's what happens. I begin to take these questions seriously. I walk out into the parking lot, I see you get into your BMW, or I hear you talk about the great vacation you just went on, and I think to myself, yep, he's going to hell, self-indulgent jerk. (laughs) and that's wrong. That's my sin, not yours. You see, asking these types of questions should not turn us into self-righteous judgmental Pharisees. These types of questions should call us to repent because all of us, or at least 99% of us, are self-indulgent to some degree. You know what the real tragedy of this story is? The real tragedy of this story is the rich man, he never repented. Not even when he is in torment. Never does he turn to Lazarus and say, you know what, Lazarus, I am so sorry for the way that I ignored you when we were on earth. I'm so sorry that my heart was more, not more tender towards your plight in life and what you were dealing with and going through. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he continued to view himself as being above Lazarus, so much so that he still felt like, you know, Lazarus ought to be running my errands even in the afterlife. And this was the position he took. God forbid that be true of any of us this morning. The deal is, Satan doesn't want you to repent. And so what he's going to do this morning, he's going to put some thoughts in your mind, thoughts that go like this, well, you know what, if I give my money away to those who are poor, I I might just be encouraging bad behavior. You know, they're in this situation because of their own failures in life. They're probably just too lazy, and I, I can't support that. I can't enable that. You thought might come into your mind, you know what? This is just one step towards socialism. We can't go there. We're not going to do that. Now, please, just, just stop and push those thoughts out of your mind, especially this last one, because it's not about politics. It's about our King, Jesus saying, I want you to take care of those who are poor, I want you to take care of those who are needy, I want you to take care of those who are sick. This is why you're here, this is part of your reason for being. And again, it doesn't demand that you give all your money away to every person you see, but it does demand this, that you see people, that you engage with people, that you love on people, that you do the best of your ability to support those who are in need and who are hurting. Now, to those who are in need, this story should offer some comfort. Let me explain. This is the only parable in which Jesus names a character in His story. That must mean Lazarus, that name has some significance. And it does. The original language, Lazarus, actually means the one whom God helps. Did God help Lazarus? Well, at first glance, it may not appear so, but as you begin to look at it a little closer, it becomes evident that he did. He provided Lazarus with, it appears, a group of friends who would take him and place him outside of that rich man's home. Knowing that, That man could help him if he decided to do so. And upon his death, Lazarus, he didn't receive a fancy funeral like no doubt the rich man did. But here's what he did receive, an angel escort into eternal life. And when he was escorted into eternal life, where was he taken? He was taken to the side of Abraham, which indicates this, that he was given a place of fellowship and feasting at the heavenly banquets. To those of you who may be in need this morning, this is what I want you to know: You're not alone. You're not alone. The God cares for you in the same way. God has given you family, a church, to support you and to care about you. And most importantly, God is always with you. And the best news of all this morning is this: is that one day all those who are faithful be it the rich or the poor, will be with God and each other enjoying the greatest party that has ever been thrown. And we praise God for that.